Uh, well, I think John, John the Baptist's story uh, really epitomizes the season of Advent. If it's been a while since you've heard the story of John the Baptist, let me just kind of tell a little bit of it. So uh, he's Jesus's cousin. He's less than a year older than Jesus. Um, I, you know, often when you hear these stories, you know, it helps me to kind of try to put myself in the story. And, you know, I, I just wonder what their lives were like. Um, if they got to see each other much growing up, if they got to play together. Um, and I also wonder what it must have been like for him to find out that cousin Jesus was, wasn't simply cousin Jesus, that he was the long-awaited Messiah. You know, I don't know if uh, he received an angel like Mary and Joseph and even John's dad did. I was thinking about, I, ha- I had a cousin growing up, cousin Eddie, and we would, uh, we would, uh, get together every summer and in the holidays, and man, we would get into some trouble. And so I just, I, I just imagine an angel coming to me and saying, um, "Cousin Eddie is the Messiah," and I'd just be like, mm, "Yeah, I don't know, I don't know about that." And I, maybe, maybe uh, Jesus and John cut up a little bit like that, and maybe uh, John is a little surprised by this news. Uh, it gets even more surprising, though, because the angel, or however he found out, also said, you have a role to play in this. You're actually going to go ahead of him, and as Isaiah said, you're going to prepare the way for him. Who knows if he understood that, but the next thing we know, about a year before Jesus started his ministry, John goes out to the wilderness. He goes out to the River Jordan. Um, I don't know if he was wearing this prior to this, but um, the, the gospel writers tell us that he wore clothes made of camel hair, um, and he ate uh, locusts and wild honey. I don't know why we have those facts. I don't know what it signifies. The only thing I can put together is if you got to eat locusts, you ought to also get to eat wild honey. That's the best I got for you. Um, and, and it says that uh, he's not afraid to, to call people out. I mean, he is getting in people's faces, and because of this, every day more and more people are coming to hear this, this wild man, this prophet, and he is telling them that, the, that, that uh, they need to get their lives right because the Messiah is here. So the religious leaders hear about this, and they want to know what's going on, so they come out, and they're wondering because there's all these rumors and speculation that maybe John, crazy John, is the Messiah, and he says... You're asking the right questions because I got good news for you. The one that we have been waiting on, we've been hearing stories about who would come and make things right. Good news is I'm not him, but he's here. He's coming. I'm preparing the way for him. Now, we'll come back to John's story in a bit. Um, The Old Testament passage this morning, we read part of it. It's from Isaiah 61. I'm not going to read all of it, but this last part of this long book of Isaiah, this last part is uh, is when the the Hebrew exiles get to return home from Babylon. And, And this is one of the things that they hear from Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, 
the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Now you, you put yourself in the shoes of these Hebrew exiles. These are beautiful words. Um, but this is a new generation. All but a few had lived their entire lives in Babylon. So the foreign place is actually where they're getting to go home. And so it was good to be home, um, but it was a new place. And it was good that they were no longer under the rule of Babylon, but they still weren't a free people. Now the Persians were in charge. And even though Cyrus the Great had allowed the Hebrews to go back home, they weren't a free people. The Persians were very much in charge. And so while this was good news, it, it wasn't quite what Isaiah was talking about. They, hadn't, they had not experienced that yet. They knew the concept of jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, but this was a far cry from that. And then as if things couldn't get worse, a little later we have these 400 years of silence where there are no prophets speaking on behalf of God. And so that's where we find ourselves when John comes on the scene. God's people have always understood waiting. May not have, I didn't say they liked it. They didn't like it, but they've always understood it. They've always been in that place of longing for something more. And so here's John, the Baptist, saying, the time we've all been waiting for is finally here. And a short time later, we find this story in Luke 4. Jesus is inaugurating his ministry. He's in his hometown of Nazareth. It's the, it's the Sabbath. He's in the synagogue. It's his turn to read. He's presented the scroll, and guess what it is? It's Isaiah 61. The same Spirit of the Lord is on me, all these things. But then he sits down after reading, and then he says something that nobody's expecting because they all know this, this guy, Jesus. They, they saw him grow up, and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled. They don't like it, if you remember the story. How exciting, how surprising this news is. Now, do you know where we find John next in the story? He's in prison. He's in prison for doing what God had called him to do. And he has seen his cousin now perform awesome miracles. He's seen him choose a group of disciples and um, given them authority to do the same thing. He's seen him stand up to the religious leaders and he's seen crowds like he's never seen before begin to follow his cousin Jesus. And he thinks back to something he's heard before. How about uh, prisoners being released, right? That's part of this whole thing. But that's not happening for John. And so in Matthew 11, we have this account. It's, it's such an honest account of doubt and questions that has meant a lot to me. Because John wonders if maybe he was wrong about his cousin. So he sends some of his disciples to go to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And you know that as soon as he sends his disciples away, he starts second-guessing himself. 
if he was wrong about Jesus, what a fool he's been, right? Because this was the, the message that Jesus is the Messiah. But he's doubting. Yet if he's right, yes, yet if he was right, and now he's doubting and asking a question like this, how disappointed is Jesus going to be with him? I'm just speculating. And now he's left here in prison to do nothing but wait. Do you resonate with doubts and questions like this when you, you absolutely knew something was real, and then maybe it didn't happen like you thought it was going to happen or in the time frame you thought it was going to happen or completely did, just a 180. We've all had those moments and they're, they're very hard. Well, we get Jesus' response and it's simply this. This is to, to John's disciples. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Sound familiar? The same theme weaving itself in. All of this kind of language, all of this stuff about times being fulfilled, blind receiving sight, prisoners being set free, they heard this as kingdom language. They, they knew this kind of language. Um, I was thinking uh, earlier this week, I was reading in an old, old blog of mine, came across this post about my son Adam, who's 15 now. It was, this was when he was three years old. One day I picked him up from his, uh, his daycare at Christ Methodist School, and we're walking down the hall, and we see there's this uh, picture on the wall, and it's a picture of a lion lying down with a lamb, which is right out of Isaiah. And he just stopped, and he's just looking really puzzled at it. And um, I, I knew that he knew what the lion was because he loved lions, um, but he wasn't sure what the lamb was because it didn't fit, right? And so I could tell he was, he was puzzled, and so I looked down at him, and I said, that's a lamb. <laughs> uh, thanks, Dad. He looked up at me and said, but lions don't go with lambs. I'm just going to call it a female lion, Problem solved, right? And I was reminded, yeah, lions don't go with lambs, but one day they will. That's what that whole image is, that one day the lion will lie down with the lamb. It certainly doesn't make sense right now. Certainly didn't make sense to the three-year-old, but there's something beautiful about that one day. Um, now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, um, one of the things we discover is that there is a now aspect as well as a not yet aspect. The kingdom of God is on one hand already here, and yet on the other hand, it's not fully here. And this whole idea is just woven through Scripture. You think about Mark chapter 1, the first words out of Jesus' mouth are, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. First words out of Jesus' mouth. Um, this word good news, where we get the word gospel, we see the word gospel defined lots of different ways. In this very first time, the gospel is that the kingdom of God has come near. Things are going to be different. It's going to take um, 
repentance and belief. I love the way Dallas Willard paraphrases this verse, says, Jesus then came into Galilee announcing the good news from God. All the preliminaries have been taken care of, and the rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus is saying it's being ushered in through his life, death, resurrection. But we also see Jesus hinting that it's not fully here, that more is to come. Think about the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That there's this that there is meant that we should have this longing inside of us, and it's there, this longing inside of us for things here to more and more resemble the way they are in heaven, for heaven to infiltrate earth. We think about what things are like in heaven. There's no injustice. There's no death. There's no hunger. And obviously those things are here now. And so we pray that things that, that, that heaven will come into earth more than they currently are. Uh, and so we have a role to play in this. First, Jesus is saying you can pray. Something happens when we pray, this prayer. Pray. It begins to happen. The other thing is we're called to represent. Paul talks about um, the fact that we're ambassadors of, of a kingdom, we're ambassadors to a king. And so what that means is that when we live our ordinary lives, um, people ought to get a better glimpse of what the kingdom looks like and what the king looks like. That's what Paul's saying there. Now, I don't have to tell you that there is a tremendous amount of tension in all this. We are in between the times, so to speak. And we've been there for a long time. That's what humanity is. And it can be difficult because we can have glimpses of the kingdom. And then it can be dashed. Our hopes can be dashed. Or we can be in this place of waiting. And I imagine each one of us feels this in some aspect or another. I want to end our time by going back to these words from Bonhoeffer. Um, I want to read a little bit more, though, this time. Here's this full quote. It says, not all can wait. Certainly not those who are satisfied, contented, and feel that they live in the best of all possible worlds. Those who learn to wait are uneasy about their way of life, but yet have seen a vision of greatness in the world of the future and are patiently expecting its fulfillment. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. He understood the tension. He understood the tension that those who are going to get this most are those who recognize that this world is not the end. Those who are not satisfied with all that the world brings. Uneasy about their way of life. I think back to what Jesus said, review your plans for living, but patiently expecting its fulfillment. This whole piece 
of being okay in the tension, but yet also holding on to hope that something greater is to come. Boy, that's it. We understand that life is filled with tension. There's doubt, there's longing, there's waiting, there's disappointment, but there's also hope. When, when Jesus reported back to John while John's in prison, he's not angry with John for doubting. We don't see, how dare you? You know who I am. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't use shame in this thing, right? What does he do? He just reminds him of what he's seen. He just reminds him. And we all need to be reminded because we all need hope. That's what Jesus wants John to have. Jesus wants John to have hope that this thing isn't over. Um, and so I pray during this season that we would all have hope as we sit in this tension of waiting. Let's pray together. So God, I thank you for uh, the story of John. I thank you that we get the good, um, the exciting, um, but we also get the troubling, the confusing, the heartbreaking at times. I'm grateful that we get the doubts and the questions. And I pray, um, God, that uh, no matter where each one of us is, whatever the tension looks like, whatever the waiting looks like, whatever the disappointment looks like, that we would um, just boldly enter those places of darkness and sadness knowing that you're with us, knowing that others are with us. But I pray for each one of us that within that waiting, that there would also be hope, that we'd be, we would be reminded that you are the King Jesus and you have come and you have taken on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood and you're with us. You are with us. In the pain, in the hope, in all, you are with us. And so we pause and we give thanks and we remind ourselves of this powerful truth and we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen.